Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life. Uh, my name is Logan Steinbaugh. I am the youth pastor here. Um, I know that for sure because about 15 minutes ago, I spilled coffee on my shirt, and it's only just now dried. So. Um, I'm really glad you guys are all here. Uh, like Adam said, um, uh, Life for Youth Camp got back last Sunday, and so this has been a pretty jam-packed Sunday for me. Uh, but I wanted to take this advantage, uh, being the youth pastor, um, being able to preach on stage, and I wanted to uh, encourage you all to do something with me. Um, the great thing about being the youth pastor is I get to play a lot of really dumb, really silly games, and I would like you all to play a fun, silly game with me right now. Is that something that you guys are interested in? <laughs> Good. All right. Uh, by the way, if you're, playing, if you're watching online, um, I'd love for you to participate as well. Um, you might not be able to get into the feel of it as well, but you can still participate. So um, this game is called Stand Up If. It is very simple. Um, it's going to involve some standing. It's going to involve some sitting. Um, if you're not able to stand or sit, I still want you to participate. Just throw a hand up, throw a hand down. But the game is very, very simple. I'm going to say a statement. And if that is a statement that is true for you... I just want you to stand up, okay? So uh, let's, let's give a bit of a recap. Um, let, me, let me kind of ease you guys in for an easy one. Uh, stand up if you are currently listening to a message at Real Life on the Palouse. Very simple. Very good. Okay, give yourselves a round of applause. That was beautiful. Go ahead and sit back down. Wonderful. Okay. You all get the spirit of the game, okay? Now, um, these questions may not necessarily always be the most comfortable, but I would ask that you would stick true to the spirit of the game that we are playing, and if it is true for you, be honest, be proud, be bold, and stand up, okay? So, very first, stand up if you have ever scratched your armpit and then smelled your hand. (laughs) Okay, okay. We've got some bold people and a ton of liars. That's cool. I'm fine with that. All right, go ahead and sit back down. All right, a little bit more, a uh, little bit more uh, specific. Stand up if you uh, are an adult or not, just not a child, and you still regularly pick your nose. <laughs> Bravo, people! These people are the bold, the most bold of our culture. All right, um, stand up. If you have ever put on an article of clothing either backwards or inside out and gone the whole day like that. Good. Good. All right, so back down. This one, okay. I, by the way, my prerequisite for this is that uh, I didn't put any questions on here that aren't true for me as well, so I'm sharing this, this deep pain with all of you, including this one. Uh, stand up if you've ever eaten anything out of the garbage. There you go. I knew I wasn't alone. If it's a full donut and it's just right there, like, what are you supposed to do? (laughs) All right, go ahead and sit back down. That was fun. That was silly. Uh, That was goofy. Um, And I thank you guys for for playing the game and and being honest and being willing to stand up, even if it's something kind of like, oh, I don't want everyone to know that I pick my nose. (laughs) But if I want you to stay true with this game, we're gonna, I'm going to ask a few more questions. Um, the tone's going to shift a little bit. And the questions are going to be a little less silly and a little more pointed. 
uh, and maybe a little bit more intense for you. But I would ask that you stay true with the game that we've been playing, and if this statement is true for you, stand up. Stand up if there is something about yourself that you have ever wished that you could change, but that you have no power over. You guys can sit back down. Stand up. If you're in a really, really difficult season of your life and you really just wish your problems would go away. Okay, you can sit back down. Stand up. If there is any kind of shame that you feel about either who you are or something that you've done or what you are, and you do not know how to overcome it. Stay standing for a second. Just look around the room and take in. That's a lot of people. You guys can sit back down. Thank you for playing my game, uh, my fun and then very quickly not fun game. These are questions that we don't ask very often. They're questions that we don't get asked very often. And I just want you to realize that that feeling that you felt as we got to some of those more pointed questions, that when you stood up and you feel that kind of like vulnerability, that's, that's what it is. That like open nerve feeling, it's, it's vulnerability. And it's easier to stand up when a ton of people stand up with you. But even if just one person had stood up for something that was maybe pointed or a little bit vulnerable for them... I guarantee you 90% of you would have been lying, but it wouldn't have been any easier. To be vulnerable is pretty difficult sometimes. And whether it's a silly game, it doesn't make it any easier. And so I want you to take that feeling that you felt, that feeling of vulnerability, and I just want you to kind of put it over here and just kind of put put a tack in it and put it on the wall, and we will come back to that. But right now... Um, I want us to dive in uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians, give a bit of a recap where we have been studying as a church. So for the last several weeks, uh, we here at Real Life on the Palouse, we've been going over the book of 1 Corinthians, the church of Paul, um, Corinth, the the city of Corinth, uh, the man of Paul. And we've had a couple of uh, unique lessons as Paul has been uh, correcting and encouraging this church in Corinth. So for example, last week, uh, Greg, our worship pastor who was up here leading, um, he gave a message on spiritual gifts um, and how we are to reconcile the works of the Spirit um, both in our lives and how we interact with each other. Uh, The week before that, Pastor Josh took us through uh, this really awesome message um, on the topic of freedom and how we're supposed to celebrate in freedom uh, that we have in Christ rather than freedom that we can earn ourselves or freedom that we can gain ourselves. This week, as we get closer to the end of the book of 1 Corinthians, this is kind of, we've got, we've ramped up to a lot of really specific topics for the Corinthians that are also applicable for us, and now it's kind of ramping down, and Paul shifts his idea to this of love, that in the midst of all their learning, in the midst of all this encouragement they're getting, how can they love and love well? And so we dive into the text, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not love, I am nothing. If I, possess, uh, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body over to hardships that I may boast, but I do not love, I gain nothing. Kind of seems like love's a little bit of a big deal to Paul. 
And Greg talked about this, uh, he referenced this exact chunk of scripture last week and he, uh, as he was going over spiritual gifts, and he had this really awesome um, quote about it to, to show the intensity, like why is Paul being so intense about love? Um, last week from the stage you heard, love is the music of heaven that we get to hear in the here and now. I love that, I think it's beautiful. And so it makes sense that Paul is making such a huge deal about this, but I do have one question. Um, what exactly does Paul mean when he says love, right? L-O-V-E, that's a very packed word, especially in our culture. So what is Paul meaning? And the very first thing that I think of, this is just for me, is just a good old-fashioned love story. Uh, I don't know about you guys, I love a good romantic story. I'm a sucker for a rom-com. Sleepless in Seattle, Princess Bride, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, classics, all of them. I will fight you in the lobby on this. This is a hill I will die on. (laughs) I love a good love story. And it seems uh, that I'm not the only one. God seems to love a good love story as well. Um, All throughout scripture, we see tons of amazing love stories, especially um, the Old Testament is ripe with them. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, whose love was so deep that they started a family so large that it became a nation. Uh, There's classic one of uh, Ruth and Boaz, story of the love of a kinsman redeemer. Um, But I have a very particular love story that's my absolute favorite in all of scripture. It's one that you might not be super familiar with. It is the story of Hosea. Um, if, you, if you aren't particularly familiar with the book of Hosea, a bit of recap, um, there's an entire Old Testament book about Hosea. It's just called the book of Hosea, who'd thunk. And who exactly was he, okay? So Hosea was a prophet of God, like a really, really well-respected prophet of God in the Old Testament. And he was known as this man from God, this righteous guy that everyone knew like, hey, that guy speaks for God. Uh, and not only were prophets like really big stuff in this time, they were kind of like celebrities. So, so everyone around here would have known who Hosea was. Far and wide, Hosea would have been known as one of the conduits of God. Uh, there's this really awesome uh, speaker, uh, um, pastor, his name is uh, Brad Gray. He described uh, prophets as gap closers. I really like that. He says, uh, they were the people who had the job of reconciling how the nation of Israel was living and behaving versus how God was actually calling them to live and behave and how they were actually supposed to do stuff. That was, this was like a super important job. This is Hosea. This is who he is. And uh, Hosea lived in the northern kingdom. Uh, it had already, there's a ton of history with the nation of Israel. Um, civil war had already broken off. Uh, the southern kingdom's called Judah. He lives in the northern kingdom. And Hosea had this really, really difficult job of being a prophet to God's people during some really, really iffy times in Israel's history. Specifically, uh, he was a prophet during the king of a guy named King Jeroboam II. And he was a bad king. He wasn't good at all. He didn't run things very well. And not only was he a bad king, but the nation of Israel was falling into disarray more and more every day. And with Jeroboam's poor leadership, Israel kind of found themselves in this sort of like this this push and this pull with God back and forth. See, all throughout the Old Testament, God's relationship with his people and ultimately through proxy, his relationship with us is shown between this correlation of how the nation of Israel interacted with him and how he interacted with the nation of Israel. And this back and forth, back and forth. And the book of Hosea is no exception. There are a lot of instances of God's people um, saying, we want to follow you, God. We want to we be your people. And then messing up and disobeying. And then saying, we want to follow you, God. We want to do what you want us to do. And then messing up and disobeying. And it's this cycle of redemption and falling away 
and redemption and falling away over and over and over again. This is where we find Hosea. And the book of Hosea covers about 25 years of his life, of his ministry, Um, but Israel wasn't doing so hot throughout this entire time. They were uh, disobedient. They were unruly children of God, constantly in rebellion, constantly in defiance of God's commands. Israel was not exactly an easy place to be if you were a speaker for the Almighty. But here we find Hosea. And in the midst of all of this, Hosea finds himself in an even weirder situation where God has chosen him specifically and his life to illustrate how he is to live with his people and his people are to live with him, his entire life. And so uh, Hosea chapter one, this is the kickoff to one of my my favorite romantic stories in all of scripture. Hosea one, starting in verse two, says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, um, I don't know about you, but a lot of the classic love stories I can think of don't really start like verse two. The pitch for Sleepless in Seattle probably didn't sound a lot like that. (laughs) And there's no shining lights. There's no meet cute between the guy and the girl. It's just the God of the universe telling Hosea, hey, I want you to go and marry a promiscuous woman. Uh, Some translations call her uh, a harlot or a woman of harlotry. If you go back into the original text that the book of Hosea was written in, the word used to describe her literally means fornication. God is saying, hey, Hosea, you who's this righteous guy, this this speaker for God, for his his people, I want you to go and marry a woman that's going to sleep around. I want you to go and I want you to, to marry a woman that is going to be so hard to love and I want you to love her. And there's no fighting from Hosea. There's no complaint, no pushback. He just goes, okay, God, sounds good. I pick her. Her name's Gomer. First of all, please do not name your children Gomer. (laughs) This is my daughter, Sarah. This is my daughter, Haley. This is my daughter, Gomer. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) But needless to say, Hosea picks her and he loves her. And he was with her for quite a long time, long enough uh, that she bore him a son, And as the story goes on, um, God uses Hosea and Gomer's life over and over and over again to illustrate this, this relationship between a disobedient Israel and an extremely loving God who refuses to give up on his people over and over and over again. Hosea even goes so far as to name some of his children after the, the straight-up evil things that Israel is doing in light of God. But all throughout it, Hosea is shown to be this loving, caring, faithful husband. This is a good love story. And as I was uh, sitting through this, I was like, okay, l- love. Um, what, what's an example I can give? What's something that I could say that I loved most recently? And I was like, I've got it. There was this fish. Uh, there was this particular fish. Um, this is a silly story. A couple years back when I was in college, um, I had gotten to speak at a camp, and I had this, this empty fishbowl that I used as, as an illustration, and camp had come and gone, and I still just had this fishbowl. 
And so I went to my uh, wife, then girlfriend, uh, and her roommate, and I was like, do you guys want this? Do you want to have a fish? And they lost their minds. They're like, yes, we want to have a fish. It will make the apartment so lively. And so I went with uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, and her roommate. Uh, we went to PetSmart, and we're walking around, and we picked um, one of those betta fish, these, these really beautiful fish, sparkling colors, beautifully long fins that for some reason cost like a buck fifty. And we bought one of these fish, and we brought him home, and we filled the tank with like these dollar store rocks and a little fake fern, and we named him the most beautiful name. We named him Joshua, Joshua the fish. And we all just sat there, and I remember this moment where we, the three of us were just kind of sitting there kneeling. He was on the counter, and we were just looking at his bowl for like 10 solid minutes. We're just staring at this fish. And I remember thinking in my head, I was like, I love this fish. Fast forward two weeks. <laughs> Some of you know where this is going. Uh, fast forward two weeks, um, and my, my girlfriend and I are driving in the car, and we get a call from her roommate. She goes, hey, have you seen Joshua? And we go, the fish? He's in his tank, right? And we both have this moment of panic, like, if he's not in the tank, where would he be? And so we race back to her apartment, and we get in, and we come to the tank, and sure enough, no Joshua, no fish. It's not a big tank. It's like this big. And we're looking at it, and we can't find it, and we can't, we can't see him. And at the very bottom, which between a couple of these dollar store rocks and the glass, was Joshua. And my heart just sank. And I was like, oh, he's dead. It's been two weeks. I thought it would last longer than this. <laughs> so we, we decided we're going to give him a funeral because we love him. So we scoop him up. Um, we put him in the toilet. Um, her roommate gave a beautiful eulogy. Um, I played taps on my phone. We saluted. And we flushed him down the toilet. And I thought to myself, wow, I loved that fish. But I tell you what, I slept just fine that night. <laughs> and I thought I could say that I love that fish. But I also say that I love my mom. <laughs> and if we found my mom like that, and we had to flush her down the toilet, <laughs> I probably wouldn't sleep so well that night. <laughs> So we have to define what do we mean when we say love? When Hosea and Paul is talking about love, what does he mean? Uh, in the Greek language in the time of Jesus, there would have been a couple different versions that we all just, we translate all of these just straight up as love, but it's much more in depth. There's about four different kinds. The first one is called phileo. Uh, this is what you would most likely think of as friendship, as brotherly love. If you've ever heard of uh, Philadelphia as the city of brotherly love, it's from this word. Uh, this is love that's, I love you because of all the things we have in common. Um, I love you because of all the things that we can talk about. I love you because when we hang out, um, it's fun. I love you because blank brings us together. Okay? That's phileo love, friendship. The second one's called storge. Uh, and this one is most closely tied with uh, parental love, a love uh, that a parent has for their child or maybe that a child has for their parent. Um, if you were to take this word and track its history throughout time, uh, eventually this word uh, turned into what we call stork. You know how a stork brings a baby to its parent? And in that moment, the bond of love is formed. This is I love them uh, because they're made out of the same mold as me. Uh, I love them because I have this kind of parental ownership over them, this guidance. I love them because they're my child, right? That is storge love. So we've got phileo love, storge love, and then this third one is called eros love. This is what I like to call feeling love. 
this is the type of love that our culture is obsessed with. Um, it's most closely tied with physical attraction or like uh, sexual intimacy. This is what Eros love is. Um, this is, if you've ever seen in a movie, like a guy sees the girl across the room and he's like, I got these butterflies in my stomach. That's Eros love. It's I love you because of this feeling that you give me. I love you because you make me happy. Uh, I love you because fill in the blank, right? And so we have these three kinds of love and they're all good. God made them all for a purpose. You should have all three of these types of love in your life if you want to have good, healthy, strong relationships. But none of these are the type of love that shows up in 1 Corinthians or in the book of Hosea. It's not anywhere in there. Rather, it's this fourth type of love, and you might be familiar with the word. It's called agape. Agape love. This is the type of love that's different because it's unconditional. Every other type of love is I love you because blank but agape is I love you because I choose to love you. There's no strings attached. There's nothing you have to do for it. It's not dependent on something that someone else can do for you. It's I love you just because I choose to. In fact, in the book of Matthew, there's a, a story where some of these religious leaders, they come to Jesus and they're, they're trying to trip him up. And they say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of them all? And he says, agape the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind and with all your soul. And the second commandment is like it, agape your neighbor. This love is so important that it is the first commandment and the second commandment. This love is powerful. And I point all this out because I see this love having something that ties it all together over and over and over again. I didn't agape love that fish, but I do agape love a lot of things. And the reason behind it is because of that game that we played at the beginning. If you were honest when you played that game, when you stood up, you probably felt a little bit like an open nerve. You probably felt vulnerable. That is what is necessary for agape love over and over and over again. You have to be vulnerable in order to truly agape love because it's not I give you this and you give me that. It's I give you this. There you go. And that's That hurts sometimes. You have to be vulnerable to do that. That's what agape love entails. And that is the kind of love that we see in the book of Hosea. Continues on chapter one, and um, this unfaithful woman is, surprise, surprise, unfaithful. And the text says that she runs off and she takes other lovers and she betrays the marriage covenant that she made with Hosea. But that's not where the story ends. Hosea chapter three, starting in verse one, says, the Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as though, or as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. That's just something that would have had to do with luxury, saying they, they're loving the things of this world. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. And when I'm reading this passage, I just can't help but think of Gomer. This poor woman who has tried to survive for so long by selling uh, the most intimate thing that she has, her, her own body, and when she finally finds something stable and healthy in Hosea, she, she feels like it's almost too good to be true. And so she just dips out and tries to dip, like go back to whatever was making her feel good. 
whatever was giving her sustenance, whatever was she thought could provide for her. She didn't think that this agape love was whatever it could be. And so she goes and she runs off. And most likely she would have been thrown into a slave trade. And there's a reason that Hosea has to buy her. It's because when he came and found her, she was probably on a selling block. Naked, bruised, battered. This broken woman who just needs someone to love her. And Hosea goes and he buys back his wife, which he shouldn't have had to do in the first place. And in this, true love is shown. There's nothing that Hosea can, there's nothing that Gomer can offer Hosea, but Hosea still says, no, I'm going to love you. And the beautiful thing about this is God didn't say, hey, Hosea, see Gomer, see this specific promiscuous woman, go marry her. He just said, Hosea, go and marry a promiscuous woman. And Hosea went out and he said, okay, God, I pick her. Her name's Gomer. I still hate that name. <laughs> but he says, I pick her. And it's not because of anything that she can, she can do for me. It's not because of anything she can provide for me. It's because I choose to love her. And that didn't change when she was unfaithful. That didn't change when even after they had lived together and had children and made a family, she betrayed the covenant she made with him and ran off. That didn't change when he had to buy her back he still said, I love you because I choose to love you. That's my favorite romantic story in all of scripture. And the whole point why I bring up this story of Hosea, the whole reason I pull it out is because we are called to love in this same way. We are called to love unconditionally. He still said, I love you because I choose to love you. And that's why it's my favorite story in all of scripture. Um, when I was digging around this idea, preparing on this idea of love, um, I came across this really awesome book by uh, C.S. Lewis. If you aren't familiar with C.S. Lewis, he's this really awesome author, theologian. Um, he's most famous for creating the Chronicles of Narnia. But he has this book called The Four Loves, where he just walks through the four kinds of loves that we went through, and he just breaks it down as to how that works in our Christian life. And there's this one particular quote about this idea of being vulnerable, and it was just too good to pass up. I wanted to share it with you guys. Uh, to love is to be vulnerable. To love anything, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, airless, motionless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. To love is to be vulnerable. And here is where we find our way back to Paul and the Corinthians. And he's trying to hammer this idea of love into their head. He's just given them all of these instructions of what they're supposed to do. We're in chapter 13. There's 12 chapters prior of Paul saying, try this, do this. God's calling you to this. And he's, he's trying to wrap it all up in this bow of love. And he's saying, hey, focus. It's important. And we find ourselves in one of the most famous passages of all of scripture, the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I don't think I have ever attended a wedding where this has not been read. 
And Paul walks through this concept of agape love and how it's actually supposed to apply to their lives, how they're supposed to actually live it out. Uh, starting in verse 13, chapter four, or sorry, chapter 13, verse four, Paul says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And as I was preparing for this week, I remember um, some of the words that an old mentor of mine from a couple years back when I was in college used to say to me. Uh, this verse was a huge chunk of his, uh, his daily routine. And what he would do is he would read through the love chapter and replace his name with the word love. And he always said, if at any point, if my name was in there and something didn't line up with my life or how I was living, that meant something was wrong. He needed to change something in his life. And as I was... Preparing this, um, I, I put my name, my own name in there, and I did not like what I found. Um, I reread it, and I thought, Logan isn't super patient. Logan isn't very kind. Logan likes to envy. He's very loud about his boasting. He is incredibly proud. Logan tends to dishonor others. He is incredibly self-seeking. He is easily angered. I keep a very long list of wrongs. I tend to delight in evil. I very rarely rejoice in the truth. I very rarely protect. I very rarely trust. I'm not good at hoping. I suck at persevering. Logan fails. And if at any point you are reading through this and you insert your own name and you feel this tinge of why don't I do that? Because it makes you feel vulnerable. And we hate to feel vulnerable. But in order to love, we must be vulnerable. We, might, we have to open ourselves up to something other than our own pleasures, something other than our own desires, what your heart wants to chase after. You have to be willing to put something, anything above yourself. And we hate doing it because it's so much easier to just not be vulnerable. If we stick ourselves out there in a friendship in a romantic relationship, in an interaction with our children or with our parents, anything, true agape love is needed for true, deep love. And it's one of the hardest things in the world. Um, I, I learned this amazing thing from a friend of mine uh, a couple years ago. He, he loves Hebrew. And I was having coffee with him and I was talking to him about this concept of love. And he said, uh, the Hebrew mindset about love is, is beautiful. It's amazing. They think of love as a gift. And I was like, what do you mean? And he, he said, here's, here's an example. He took his cup of coffee and he slid it towards me and he said, if I give this to you as a gift and then you tried to pay for it, would it still be a gift? And I said, no, it, it would be a transaction then. And he went, exactly. It's the same thing with love. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you can give. And Paul is coming from a Jewish background and he's telling these Gentile Corinthians, hey, stop trying to... Stop trying to earn it. Love is free. God's giving it away freely. This is how we are supposed to live. Not demanding any prize in return, but being completely vulnerable to the fact that we may be hurt because that's what God did for us. The book of 1 John says, we love because he first loved us. God loves us so much that he came down as the most vulnerable thing that I can think of, a human body, 
And he made himself subject to our names, to our hurtful ways, to our painful actions. And he came down and he was vulnerable for us because he loved us to the point that he died on a cross for us. Hosea is a really good love story, but it's just a warm up for the greatest love story of all time. The story of Jesus Christ and you. And so as we look back at these foolish, self-absorbed Corinthians, it's like looking in a mirror. You realize as you look at them that we may, Paul's saying the word Corinthians, but he may as well be saying each of our individual names. This is the message that Paul is trying to convey to them. And in the midst of all of this, we see our own failings. As this chapter goes on, he talks more to them about how they're supposed to act as though they have the knowledge of the Lord. And he ends this idea of love with this. He says, now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. There's a reason for that. So whatever that looks like in your life, um, with others, um, maybe it means opening up a bit more. Um, Maybe with your friends or with your coworkers or uh, the people that you spend a lot of time with, maybe that means being willing to be corrected when you're wrong or being called out if, if you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And with your most intimate relationships, whether that's romantic or friendship, whatever it is, maybe it means confessing your wrongs, not just to God, but to the very person on earth that they may be hurting. Whatever that means in your life, to love is to be vulnerable. And love will overflow out of you more than you ever thought it was possible if you live like this. There's this one last quote from C.S. Lewis that I love. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna have the band come back up and we're gonna worship here in a little bit. But um, this one quote I absolutely love. He says, love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the ultimate person's good, or a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Love isn't a feeling It's an action, and it involves being vulnerable. Um, We're going to shift to this time of communion. Um, If you didn't have one of these when you came in, we've got a couple people walking around. Just raise your hand if you need one. But towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he's coming, and he's sitting down uh, with with the disciples, and he takes some bread, and he takes some wine. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, And he's trying to explain to them what's going to happen to him. He's trying to fill them in on this amazing act of love that's about to happen. And they just don't quite get it because they're so stuck in this earthly mindset over and over and over again. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand. This love's for free. And so he comes to them in 1 Corinthians 11 and he says, it says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread And when we had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread, break it in remembrance of him for the sacrifice that he made for us. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Remember the sacrifice that he made, that vulnerability that he had for us. I want to end today by just repeating that that amazing quote one more time. 
Love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. To love is to be vulnerable. So be vulnerable. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.